Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. IPG consolidated its health agencies under the IPG Health banner in July 2021, putting longtime FCB Health CEO Dana Maben at the helm, where she oversees 45 agencies and 6,000 people. Leadership changes are still underway, but the consolidation allows for more holistic focus on client needs and creates more opportunities to invest across a single P&L. Maimon, who has focused on health equity throughout her career, discusses how work like the Trial for Clinical Equality and Blood Equality, which focus on diversifying clinical trials and allowing gay men to donate blood, respectively, have attracted more diverse talent to IPG Health's agencies. In this episode, Maimon also chats about how health and wellness brands are shaking up their media and creative strategies as they invest more heavily in digital, as well as how the healthcare sector might be impacted by economic headwinds. I'm Allison Weisbrot, editor of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Dana. Thanks so much for being here today. How are you? Great. It is my pleasure. Very, very exciting to be part of this. Thank you, Allison. Awesome. So IPG Health is a relatively new construct, right, at Interpublic Group. It's been just under a year since the group was formed from FCB and McCann Health. Um, Talk about how the past year has been for you leading the the new sort of combined entity and, and what the strategy is here from a health perspective. So what's incredible for me is how quickly it's gone. So it certainly feels, you know, On one hand, far longer than a year, and it actually was born on July 1st. So it's been about 18 months at this point. And I have to say, this is something that IPG has been thinking of for so long. So even though it feels in one way new, um, certainly for years, IPG has toyed with the idea of creating this healthcare vertical. So obviously, I was always a fan of it because I knew how much stronger it would be if we pulled all these incredible healthcare assets out and put them together. The resources that we have when we're all combined, it really is synergistic. And the amount of investment that we've been able to you know, spend, because again, we're spending it once. We're not spending it on every single agency for every single network. Mm. So in terms of the overall strategic umbrella, it's very similar to how I've always thought. It is all about doing what's right for our clients, their brands, and our people. And, you know, we never really talk about revenue and margin and growth because if we do those three things right, everything else follows. Mm. And even though IPG has been incredible from like an open architecture, and I think from a holding company standpoint, they really were one of the first. And they set the bar so high as to how all the different agencies and all the different networks and their expectation on how these would work together Again, so different from other holding companies, which really had a more competitive bent. Mm -hmm. So FCB always worked with McCann. We shared clients, et cetera. However, now to have this degree of connectivity and interconnectivity is incredible. But sorry, Allison, one more incredible thing, one P&L. 
to have this construct, the clients just start smiling when you talk about a one PL operating construct. And we always had that on the FCB health side, you know, around the world and with the different agencies, et cetera. But to have it now on six continents with all of these different agencies and offerings is truly stupendous and differentiating. Well, let's talk about your, you're talking about all these different offerings that exist across the group. Obviously, there's efficiencies that can be gained when you're on a single PL and you can, you know, like you were saying, spend on just invest in things once, right? So talk about the capabilities that have come together, what the holistic offering now is, and how you go to market to clients with it. You know, healthcare is such an interesting um, vertical, if you will, because when you think about some of these products, uh, you have to think years before launch and before FDA approval, per se. So there's so much pre-work that needs to be done. There's so much market prep that needs to be done. So we have a huge MedCom offering, again, that is, you know, truly global, that even starts with publication planning or even starts with medical education of healthcare professionals. So again, around the world, we're teaching them about maybe a new class of medicine or a first-in-class medicine or a disease, you know, a rare disease and how to recognize it or diagnose it even earlier. So all of that is happening long before the drug is even approved. Then you move into the branding for the drug, the naming, the logo development, the packaging design. Again, all of that needs to happen years before launch because that needs to be approved as well. And then you start to talk um, or move into the messaging the branding from a promotional standpoint as well, and all of the communications. So this, again, is years we come on before drug approval. And then, obviously, for launch, there's all the sales materials, the B2B. Mm -hmm. There's the omni-channel and multi-channel work that we do. And then, of course, um, a lot of these brands now have direct-to-patient, so a lot of patient-ed, and they have DTC as well, direct-to-consumer and broadcast. Right. So I know there's tons of, of work to be done across the, the healthcare space, right? And the healthcare space is expanding now. It's not just pharma. It's all these other kind of wellness companies, adjacent tech companies getting into the space. When you sort of look at... Um, IPG Health, there are still some really strong brand names in the group, right? Like McCann Health has always kind of been a big name. FCB Health, which you led for a long time. There's Area 23 now, which is sort of on the rise. Um, talk about like the balance you keep between having the brand names in the forefront and having IPG Health as like one go-to-market offering. Um, well, all of those brands, as you said, they're unique, they're special, and they are very, very ownable brands with such tremendous equity. So I never wanted to do a mishmash and just put them all together. If you think of IPG Health, that's sort of uh, their foundational structure 
we stand for certain things. It's I don't know how many kids are in your family or how many you're one of, but we are all uh, share the same DNA. And that DNA is IPG health. But yet at the same time, you know how different you are from some of your siblings and what they stand for and what they look like and how they show up and their personality. So that's how we think about all the different agencies. And they all, um, again, with that same DNA and that common DNA, now they all branch out and stand for different things. McCann Health in particular has had a lot of leadership changes since IPG Health was formed. Just recently, um, it was put under Area 23 leadership. What does that sort of signal or mean for the agency? Again, you know, there are just as many agencies uh, within the IPG Health family who haven't had any leadership changes whatsoever. So, you know, again, we put McCann Health New York under the leadership of Area 23, but yet so many of the folks, the senior executive folks at McCann Health New York remain in place. So again, McCann Health New Jersey, they their leadership has been in place for years. There's no plans to change that. So again, it is so agency specific and as needs arise. There were so many shared clients also between Area 23 and McCann Health New York that that was an easy one. Mm. So I want to talk about the health space a bit in general. It's been such a big growth area for agencies the past couple of years since the pandemic. I feel like health was always like sort of off in its own corner doing its own thing. And now it's really become part of the holistic conversation about where growth is coming from in the industry. How has that sort of changed the way that you think about like running the health vertical at IPG and and the opportunities and challenges that are posed because of of this new momentum and, and innovation in the health space? Well, obviously, health was always really important to me since I've been, <laughs> uh, you know, leading FCB Health and all the agencies, including Area 23 and the others for over 20 years now. So I always thought health should be in the forefront. But as you aptly noted, COVID and the pandemic clearly put it on the forefront for everybody. So all of a sudden, you know, even though cancer and all these other horrific diseases definitely strike people in your family and people you know, et cetera, somehow COVID, you know, and this global pandemic that truly shut down the world obviously affected everybody. Now you see um, RSV is all over the news and, you know, every children's hospital is overrun and no room for new transfers into the hospital and everybody. Anyway, but at the same time, probably uh, five, 10 years ago, we started being on the same creative stage, whether it was can or any of the mega, mega award shows. And all of a sudden, all the creatives, you know, that from every consumer agency started to knock on our door. And it's because health became so relevant to them. Also, you had whole generations coming who were like, you know what? I'm tired of uh, typical CPG. I want to give back in some small way. I want to work on something that's more meaningful. 
So whether that's, you know, an oncology drug or just being in the healthcare space. And now with the COVID uh, therapies, the COVID vaccines, I think the entire universe has become so appreciative, grateful, and acknowledging how important vaccines are, the life-saving nature of them. So again, everybody is so much more focused on healthcare than they ever were before. So I will say, even though we hired well over, um, I don't know, I think year to date, we have globally um, over 1,700 new hires across the network. And I will say so many of these people are the most creative from the top agencies from all over, whether it's strategy folks, digital folks, omni-channel folks, multicultural folks, all coming to us from these other agencies because, again, they recognize the impact that healthcare has on themselves, their families, and they want to be part of it. So it's been great. So talk about how, you know, the health space as it's sort of gained more prominence across the broader creative and advertising landscape. Um, Talk about how this new talent that you've been able to bring in has changed the product at all. Like I think, you know, healthcare pharma ads have not always been the most creative because there's a lot of constraints, right? There's disclaimers you have to make and certain compliance that you have to um, meet. But talk about how like the the creativity has changed in the past year, two years since the pandemic. I don't see that it's changed in the past two years. You know, I'd say that evolution has been starting for the last decade. And, you know, I think things like digital and experiential have just given us a much greater stage to be creative on. And our clients, you know, it's like a journey. You're taking the clients along on this journey, too because so many of them are risk adverse, or they're like, oh, we can't do that. Even social, you know, we were part of the first social two-way, you know, engagement with consumers. And we convinced one of the most conservative pharma, you know, multinational clients to actually engage in social for consumers and patients. So again, that just keeps evolving and going further and further. But we've also, uh, you know, done a lot more from a creative technology standpoint, Mm -hmm. actually creating products. So that's something that is very, very new. So, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with some of our. Yeah, talk a little bit about what you've been sort of creating and, and how that goes beyond the typical like ad campaign. Yeah, I mean, something like Sick Beats, you know, for kids with cystic fibrosis to actually create the vest that's going to help them dissolve, you know, some of that mucus that is indigenous or really one of the hallmarks of cystic fibrosis. These kids have to go through so much. So just to make that whole process, that daily ritual somewhat um, more appealing. So sick beats, you know, with the incorporation of music, all of a sudden that horrible, horrible daily chore for these poor kids with cystic fibrosis to actually make it something that, yeah, 
they looked forward to. Mm-hmm. So to put on this vest that has this music, this thumping music that obviously is helping to dislodge this mucus that is honestly killing them. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I, I remember that campaign and I think it, it either was on the short list or won a few awards for our, um, our big awards program because it was really awesome. Obviously, like there's there's so much more innovation happening in health right now. Talk about the intersection of health and technology and how that's kind of influencing the work that you do for your clients. Well, first of all, you know, wearables in general mm-hmm. and wearables and technology. Technology is such a part of everybody's life. But to see it, you know, obviously take over health is so exciting for us. You know, again, as you mentioned, that intersection So everything, especially in the diabetes area, that's so fascinating. And, you know, everybody, uh, that connectivity that people are seeking, because it also dovetails into patient empowerment, patient knowledge, patient awareness. And, you know, people want to know so much more about their health. And that's where the technology has really helped so much as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our clients, uh, you know, with continuous glucose monitoring, again, you know, having diabetes is such a devastating disease and it requires so much work on Mm -hmm. the part of the individual, the patient, the caregiver, you know, if it's a child and a parent and to have technology make so much of this so much more bearable. Mm -hmm. And it actually aids in better compliance and adherence. So overall, it contributes to greater health as well. Yeah. Technology also creates a lot of data, right? So talk about about how, um, you know, pharma brands, healthcare brands navigate that with HIPAA compliance and obviously data privacy is super sensitive in any area, but with health specifically, um, there, there's an extra layer of, of confidentiality. Oh, there's a lot of layers. <laughs> yeah, maybe an extra few layers. So talk about yeah. like in this world where like brands are trying to get their hands on customer data, how do you approach that from your particular health vertical? Yeah, so as you can imagine, you know, a, a network like ours needs to be extremely, extremely compliant because, you know, we're not some small startup or independent or whatever. So we have so many layers of our own Uh, compliance built in. And of course, with our clients. So, so many of our agencies are ISO certified and that confers a certain degree of compliance and it gives a lot of our clients tremendous, tremendous peace of mind to know that we're ISO certified. So that helps considerably. But data is so critical for us because so many times uh, we need to find these patients with these extremely rare diseases. And, you know, it's not something that is going to be served with a huge direct-to-consumer campaign or a budget, you know, a huge media budget, if you will. So we're geo-targeting, whether it's to certain uh, hospital centers that treat this particular illness or disease state, certain physicians who, you know, are known to prescribe. So again, or if there's clusters, 
you know, where we know some of these patients are. So that's where the hyper-targeting, the geo-targeting, that's where data is king. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we create these heat maps, if you will, and that guides so much of our promotional spend. So talk about, obviously, pharma has been a big national TV ad spender for years and has been slower than other verticals to move away from that in part because they in general, are trying to reach an older audience, right, that is watching TV, and they find that it's worth the investment. So talk about how you mentioned social media before, like how are investment patterns changing? You mentioned geolocation targeting. I'm assuming that might come with some programmatic buying. Like talk about how pharmas and healthcare brands are changing the way that they approach the media landscape. Yes, it's changing a lot. First of all, you know, we're all familiar with all the uh, ads, but those are mostly for very, um, they're disease states that affect so many people. But then, you know, you have much more targeted diseases that aren't as big as arthritis or some of, you know, diabetes. So obviously we need to get far more targeted. So we are using a lot more programmatic we're using a lot more search. So much is digital. You know, we used to call it poor man's DTC. <laughs> so, you know, again, because a lot of our clients didn't have the huge budgets and we just needed to really try and find these patients and their caregivers. However, at the same time, I never thought years ago that I would be turning on the TV and seeing so many spots for breast cancer, for lung cancer. You know, it used to be you would never have a DTC spot, but I think also because caregivers are so involved and partners are so involved in, you know, their partners or loved ones care that that's why, you know, mm. there sometimes it is prudent to cast a wide umbrella as well to try and target them because you know your loved one you know has lung cancer maybe they failed their last treatment and all of a sudden you call them oh my god did you see the spot for mm -hmm. x so there's so much of that as well right and you know there's also so much innovation right in the in the drug space like a lot of new drug launches talk about how um you know like pharma is sort of like a re recession proof industry, right? Like people always get sick. They always need to take their medication. Is anything changing like with the economic outlook being so sort of uncertain and layoffs happening at different companies? Is pharma still investing strongly right now? And and maybe zoom out and is health and wellness in general still investing? Well, pharma will always invest in drug launches because obviously that's the lifeblood. I mean, in advertising, uh, sorry, in media. Right. But in those launches and with mm. those launches come, you know, the need to advertise and mm. get the word out and stuff like that. So a few things there. So pharma is not entirely recession proof. Okay. Contrary to what everybody says, because so <laughs> much of the pharma innovation occurs in these small biotechs. And these small biotechs are the ones that are really struggling today to get funding, to get credit. So, you know, I think uh, the Wall Street Journal a year ago, you know, was talking about the biotech bloodbath or whatever. 
because years before it was so easy, you know, if they said in phase one or phase two, oh my God, we have this potential drug, you know, the credit and the investors would pour in. That's not the case today. Mm. So that's one thing that is absolutely um, evidence that pharma in general is not recession proof because again, credit is so hard and they need these funds to continue the R and D. Well, does that mean that there is like a going to be like a lack of innovation coming in the space or decrease? Well, the one thing that could um, affect that, and we were seeing that also. The war in the Ukraine and, you know, Russia, obviously, a lot of the drug trials are conducted in those countries. Mm, That's interesting. Yes. And definitely that is what has slowed some of the approvals, the enrollment in these drug trials that are necessary for approval. Mm. So that we definitely saw was affecting the drug approvals because they couldn't get the patients recruited, they couldn't Mm -hmm. get trials enrolled, and obviously they couldn't get the results and, you know, the approvals from there. So that was a definite outgrowth. Yeah. These confluence of factors like the war in Ukraine, um, less investment in in smaller biotechs, how does that impact the overall like ad investment from the industry? And like, what do you see as the outlook in the next year or so? Well, I think we all know advertising works and what drug companies over the years has definitely, definitely uh, learned is that direct to consumer advertising works. And that's why you will always see the ads on TV, because after those spots run, guess what? The calls to action, you know, the website activity all of that really increases. So we have so many metrics that demonstrate the effectiveness. So I don't think that's going to stop at all. However, it's going to be done smarter. Mm. And by smarter, do you mean like more digital stuff that can be sort of so turned much digital, you know, that's going to be amortized and repurposed and those digital assets mm-hmm. are used everywhere. You know, the banners, search, Mm -hmm. Um, social is huge and of course, programmatic as well. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, health equity, which I know has been a big focus for you in your career. Um, talk about how, you know, IPG health, now that you're in this sort of broader group is approaching health equity and, you know, how you can kind of lead in that space. Yeah, I think we have been leading. And one of the things I'm proudest of is we didn't wake up the morning following George Floyd and say, oh my God, you know, we have to start doing something in this space and where have we been? Our commitment started years earlier and, you know, has just continued. So one of our operating philosophies is never finished. And I don't think we're even close to being finished. So we had engaged a group to train our over a thousand managers across our network. And we are still doing that, that type of investment to train our managers, because to us, it starts with the leaders in the organization. And that DE&I and the 
commitment to it is at the heart of all we do. We started doing a lot of pro bono work like all agencies do. But over 10 years ago, we started with the gay men's health crisis. And it was because we realized, you know, one of our clients brought it up to us because we do so much work in um, HIV mm-hmm. that, oh, my God, did you know gay men cannot donate blood? Oh, my God, we couldn't believe that. I know. So we started a huge program with gay men's health crisis. And then, you know, again, that was 10 years ago. But then it really um, gained so much more momentum with the COVID because everybody was clamoring for that, you know, COVID plasma rich antibody blood. And yet even then, gay men still were prevented from donating. So that gave that whole campaign even more Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, with COVID and the vaccines, we realized, oh, my God, one community that was so under vaccinated was the LGBTQ positive community, LGBTQ plus community. They were so underrepresented in vaccination. So we got a group, a bunch of drag queens together. We did the shoot in our office and we labeled it misinformation. And we were able to put all of that information out. And instantly in those markets, you know, we saw a real lift in immunization rates. So it's stuff like that where, wow. And then what we've been doing Minorities have always been so underrepresented in clinical trials. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was because the physicians themselves would make these decisions like, oh, I know if I ask this patient to participate in a clinical trial, they won't be able to get to the trial site or they may not be compliant or she may not be able to take off from work, whatever. And they were making this initial judgment as to who to include in these trials. So that's been a huge focus for our, you know, DE&I efforts as well. Yeah. I mean, I think health health equity in general has just risen to the forefront with COVID and everything. Do you feel like um, doing these things for clients is is attracting more diverse talent to the IPG health and the healthcare space in general? You know, I always say it's good for business. It's good business and it's good for business. And it truly is. First of all, um, you know, when you start down the path and you get synonymous with being the holding company or the agency or the network that is most focused on DE&I, you know, it's like a, um, it gathers a lot of momentum from a recruiting standpoint, from a retention standpoint. And again, it really differentiates us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so looking ahead a little bit to next year, I know with healthcare being one of the biggest growth areas for agencies, I think there's been a bit of M&A in the space, right? Among healthcare communication shops and, and marketing agencies. Do you see that continuing in um, 2023? And if, if you were looking for anything, what kind of solutions would you want to add to the group? Oh, you know, I've always been known as the person who zigs when a lot of people zag. And, you know, when everybody was going down this huge M&A, oh, my God, we got to acquire this, we got to acquire that. 
I would much rather build it myself. Mm. And that has always been my philosophy because, you know, when you're in an acquisition, um, you know, standpoint or whatever, those folks are selling for a reason. You know, they don't necessarily want to keep doing what they're doing or during that whole earnout period, they're not necessarily focused on investing in their business and doing what's right for their clients, brands, and people. And what I've, and, you know, the culture clash when you're bringing a new organization in, it takes so long to actually get to a point of assimilation and, you know, where the cultures meld. So again, I would much rather build it myself. Mm. So if you could, if you could build anything, what, what would it be? I have to say with the advent of IPG health and it being, uh, you know, expanding our global network to the degree that it did, it gave me such a powerful footprint in Asia pack. Mm. You know, that to me was something we were missing, if you will. Uh, Certainly from an agency standpoint, we have so many agencies and offerings and specialized offerings. We have a specific patient offering. We have our branding group. So again, uh, there's nothing right now that I am looking for. Awesome. Well, all right. On that note, I think maybe we're all looking for or forward to Thanksgiving. So have a happy holiday, Dana. Thank you so much for for joining me. Allison, this was great. Really uh, admire everything you guys do. So keep doing it. Thank you. That's all the time we have for this week. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Campaign Chemistry on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.